0: And so we come to my sermon. It has a name. I call it A Study in Contrasts. I think the title is a little grander than the sermon itself. But it sounds good. And the the, the contrasts are between the problem and the solution. In the moment I'll tell you the problem. And then finally I'll tell you the solution. But before that, when we're thinking of solution, I want to tell you something that happened to me when I was in school in the sixth form. I can't remember whether it was maths or physics. All I remember was that there were 10 questions in the book, and I was stuck. I didn't know what to do, I didn't know when to start. And then I made the great discovery it hit me. My eyes were opened, and with minutes, I'd answer the 10 questions. They were all right. I had 100%. Would you like to know what the discovery was that I made? I discovered that the answers were at the back of the book. <laughs> I don't want to say that I discovered with the word of God that the answers are at the back of the book because that's where we meet with Jesus. Excuse me. Hallelujah. Okay. So first of all, the problem. Here it is. It's found in Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 1 is set out there. The sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron at the point of a diamond. It is engraved on the tablets of their hearts and on the horns of their altars. Notice that it doesn't say the sins. It says the sin. You see, the fact is this. We are not sinners because we commit sins, it's the other way around. We commit sinners. We commit sins because we are sinners. Because that's our nature. Our problem is sin in our very nature. Uh, look how it was implemented, how, how it was engraved. With a pen of iron, By word. You could really press on it. This wasn't some crayon that's going to break as you tried. By word, you could do something with this pen of iron. And he says, with a point of diamond, now then, a man called Mo, M-O-H, he was a a, a gemologist, and he tried to measure how hard things were. And so he had what they call Mo scale, which goes from one to ten. Number one is talc, you know, talc, very soft. I think number nine is a ruby, but number ten, the hardest substance you'll ever find in the universe is a diamond. And he says, their sin has been engraved with this pen of iron that's got a tip of a diamond. So that means uh, they was engraved. And to en- the Hebrew word for engrave is to cut in to incise. In actual fact, it's the word that would be used to plough. A plough, you know, digs into the soil and leaves a big mark. And he says, I've engraved like a plough on the land. Sin has, has been engraved in your natures. It's not just a surface mark, not a, a superficial stain. The, the ladies, I think, might understand this, uh, but the men will definitely. You can't cut it out. No good trying to rub it. It's not a super stain, but it's a deep gouge. It's deep within our natures. Uh, it tells us where the sin is engraved. First of all, it's on the tablets of the heart. Now, it's not talking about the heart that goes bump, bump, bump inside. What he's talking about is the very core, the very center of Anisha, the very being of us, what we are. And there, it's deeply embedded, deeply gouged. It's what I am. It's the way I was born. I can't help it. That's the way I was made. It's so deep within me. And you can weep and cry as much as you like and try as much as you like. Sin will always out because it's there, God's within us. But then it says something that I find fascinating. It says not only is sin engraved in the tablets of your heart but on the horns of your altars. Sin has infected even your religious celebrations. The best things you do You're hymn singing and you're coming to church and you're giving without Jesus. Even your best religion is marked and gouged with sin. You know, the heart, it says, Jeremiah 79, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Matthew 15 and 19 says, for out of the heart, from the very centre of my being, Proceed evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. It's because of what you are inside. And without Jesus, it's just going to pour out. That's why the world is in a mess, because of the heart of bad. You know the old saying, the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart, gouged into our beings. But then it's all the holds of the altar. Let me just explain that. These uh, Israelis of that time, they were using God's altar to make sacrifice to the false gods. They were amongst these people who were different gods and they thought, well that God, if, if, we, if we worship him, he'll bring us some luck. Or this other God, he'll bring us rain. That God will bless our crops. The the altar was was like a square grill, and at each corner, the metal came up in a horn. And they would inscribe on the horns of the altar, those false gods, Baal, Ashtonoth. But you know, even today, in all our religious practices, in the best of our religion, on the horns of an altar, this is what's inscribed. Oh, first of all, Amos chapter 5, verses 21 to 23. I hate, this is what God says to the Israeli people, the Jews, about their worship, about their festivals. He says, I hate I despise your feasts. Even though you offer burnt offerings, I will not accept them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. We think we do it in favor, God a favor by singing out so loudly and jumping around. But God is looking past. Our songs to our hearts. And without Jesus, it's all meaningless. May I suggest that the false gods inscribed on the horns of the altar of much of our worship, our religious practice, is self, ego, me, mine. The great God of this age is self. Much of the songs we sing it's about me much of what we we look for in religion is about me and it's not about me it's all about Jesus and when I make myself the centre of the gospel I am worshipping a false god but when we see Jesus there that's wonderful and so there are consequences to the fact of this engraved sin first of all sin is indelible you can't rub it out you can't wash it away Remember the Rubaiyat of Omar Khayyam? It's a wonderful poem, and it says this: "The moving figure writes, and having writ, moves on. Nor all thy piety, nor wit, shall lure it back to cancel half a line. Nor all thy tears, wash out a word of it." We could cry. We could do what we like. We could try self-improvement. It will never eradicate those marks of sin. Gouged within us. There's another consequence. Sin is inedible. In, did I say inedible? <laughs> I meant <laughs> deliberate mistake. <laughs> I meant <laughs> how stupid can a preacher get? Don't answer that. Might get worse. It's indelible. But judgment is inevitable. Because God can't tolerate it. In that same chapter, in verse 4, just three verses later, God says, in my anger, a fire is kindled that will burn forever. Indelible. Judgment inevitable. But now we move to the solution. Somebody say, thank God he's finished that bit. And we're on to the better bit. And do you remember what I said? The answers at the back of the book So when we move into this now, what I want you to see, even though I'm taking a verse from the Old Testament, I want you to leap, hurl yourselves into the Gospels and see Jesus. You can't do anything else. The solution to the engraved sin is this. Isaiah chapter 49 and verse 16. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Let me explain the background to that a little. In the reading, you might have noticed that Zion was complaining. Who knows that God's people are always complaining? Huh? <laughs> and the big complaint, <laughs> and uh, I felt it myself, I haven't uttered it, but I thought, God's forgotten me. Things have got so difficult, so hard. God, I, I, have you forgotten me? And God responds to the complaint that they thought he was forgotten. And he talks about the deepest human love that it is. There's no greater love than the love for a a woman, for a child. He says, Can a woman forget her nursing child? That she's have no compassion on the sons of a womb? Even these may forget. It's hard to believe, but I have known mothers who have cut off their children. One particular case, the girl was involved in drugs, was in crime and other things I won't mention. And mother said, I can't take any more. She's dead to me. Cut off. Worse than that. On some occasions. And I, ca- I can't understand it. A woman's love is so intense. Maternal love. It's so deep. I have no women who says, I abandon my children. To go and live with this man. Can a woman's tender care cease towards the child she bear? Yes, she may forgetful be. But she runs out of compassion. And compassion is exhausted. I've heard women say to me, There's no more love in me. I've been drained of all the love. I can't take any more. But it says this Psalm hundred and forty five verse eight The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. And so 49, verse 16, even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. I, have you seen people, I've never done it myself, but I, 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 Nigel might do this. He's on a job and he knows what he's doing. Do you ever do this, Nigel? And you get a pen and you write on your hand? No, you don't. Okay. <laughs> Have you ever seen people do that? They they write on their hands not to forget. But God says, I'm not going to forget you, he says. Because you, you're engraved there, not just written. You're ploughed into my hands. You're engraved there. And immediately, our minds drop, jump to the end of the book. And we think of the hands that were pierced for us. And in the piercing of his hands on the cross, we see that engraving that was so they won't forget. He says, I'm never going to forget you. It's always there. Let me talk a little moment now about this word palms. In the Hebrew language, it's a lovely language. I hope you boys will learn a bit of Hebrew when you grow up, okay? Uh, And a bit of Greek, it's it's good, you'll you'll, you'll love it. And in the Hebrew language, there are, the word palms is used in two senses. There are two connotations. First of all, it's used, for the flat of the hand, the outstretched palm. You can understand that, can't you? That's your palm. John chapter 20, 24, 25, at the end of the book. Now Thomas, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So he said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, I put my finger into the print of the nails, I will not believe. And Jesus replies, that he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands. It's interesting, isn't it? That in Isaiah, he says, behold, look. That's what behold means, isn't it? Look at my hands. You're grave; that your name is there. And In John chapter 20, Jesus says, look at my hands. The risen Christ. This is a wonderful thing. When Jesus came out of the tomb, resurrected with his glorified body, he still had the marks of the nails. Hallelujah. If they're there to remind me of my need of sin, uh, my sinful need, I'm glad. Do you remember the old hymn? Crowd him the Lord of love. Beholds his hands inside. Those wounds, yet still visible above, In beauty glorified, no angel in the sky can fully bear that sight. But downward bends his burning eye at mystery so bright. He came out of the tomb with a glorified body. But the glorious, most glorious thing about his glorified body were the wounds that he bore for us on the cross. Hallelujah. His palms outstretched upon the cross, they bore God's judgment on my sin. That inevitable judgment on my indelible sin was dealt with when his arms were outstretched, when his hands were pierced on the cross. Second Corinthians five twenty one, 21, you know it. For he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. That indelible sin, that rottenness that was at the core of my being, there it was now placed on my Saviour. He would do no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Matthew 27, 46. At about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli Eli, elilibe sapartani. That is, by God, by God. Why have you forsaken me? His palms outstretched and nailed to the wood. He was forsaken by the Father, so that we should never be abandoned. The flat of the hands Outstretched at Calvary for salvation. They're outstretched before doubting Thomas for observation. And now outstretched before the Father for intercession. Hallelujah. Before his throne they plead with the Father on my behalf. He still bears the throne, the, the box. That engraving that took place at the cross is still there. And before the father's throne, he extends his hands to see it. Revelation 5 and verse 6. And I looked and behold, in the midst of the throne stood a lamb as though it had been slain. The slain lamb still bare in the box there before the throne. First John chapter 2 and verse 1 says, I'm writing this to you, little children, that you don't sin. But if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Arise, my soul, the hymn said. Arise, shake off thy guilty fears. The bleeding sacrifice in my behalf appears. Before the throne, my surety stands. My name is written on his hands. Five bleeding wounds he bears. Received on Calvary. They pour effectual prayers. They strongly plead for me. Forgive him. Oh, forgive, they cry. Nor let that ransom warren die. Isaiah knew all about that. In that wonderful cross chapter. There in the Old Testament, Isaiah 53. It says, he was wounded. Those palms were engraved for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. But you know there's something important. The only way that Christ's death for us his substitutionary death instead of us can be effective is when we appropriate it. We take it when we make it our own we have to make it mine the hours he was worthy for our transgressions he said i must say he was worthy for my transgressions he was bruised for my iniquity the chastisement of my peace was upon him i must make it personal and the hymnist the modern hymnist says oh to see my name written in his hands do you know it isn't just jesus died for the world jesus died for me Anybody remember this old song? Do you think you can sing it? Wounded for me, wounded for me. There on the cross, he was wounded for me. Gone my transgressions, and now I am free. All because Jesus was wounded for me. Hallelujah! God, my transgressions, are gone. I said they were indelibly. I should have said they were only seemingly indelible. My indelible sin is totally deleted, completely expunged by the words of the Savior. And now I'm free. Hallelujah. Glory to God. It works. Do you remember I said that there were two connotations, two ways in which the word for palms were used. We looked very carefully at the one that was for the flat, of the outstretched hand. We saw them nailed to the cross, showed to uh, Thomas, held out before the Father in heaven. But there was a second. Before I come to tell you what it is, I just want to give you a little bit of background. Back to our original text. Behold, I've engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. What can God mean that the walls are before him? Well, I think he's talking about the walls of the city of Jerusalem, of Zion. It was Zion who was complaining. The walls were Zion's means of defense to hold back the enemy. Now, their sin, Israel's, the the Jews' sin, Zion's sin, was exposing them to their enemies. It made them vulnerable to attack. God could have said, for your wickedness, I'm withdrawing my hand of protection. But he doesn't. He could have withdrawn his divine protection. But he says, no, I'm mindful of your defense. Your walls are ever before me. Where are his wall, those walls? They're there in his hands. Where my name is. And some believe that he probably was talking about the tattooing of a picture of the walls. So it's reminded not only of my individual need, but he knows my need a protection. Where is it? It's in the palm of my hands. In this sense, it's not now the flat of the outstretched hand, but in the hollow of the cupped hand, the nail-pierced hand, cupped for my protection. Hallelujah. Jesus said in John 10, 27, 29, By sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and no one will snatch them out of my hand, and no one will snatch them out of my Father's hand. We talked about the old days when we were poor and only had bread and jam. My mother used to talk about the days she used to have bread and dripping, and that was, a, that was a feast. Anybody remember Spangles? River remember spangles? Yes. And do you remember how they used to advertise spangles? It was double wrapped to keep the dirt out and the flavour in. And I don't want to tell you, my friends, we are double wrapped. We're in the hand of Jesus, in the hand of the Father. Hallelujah, double wrapped. Hidden in the hollow of his blessed hand. Never folk can follow. Never try to stand. Not a surge of worry. Not a shade of care. Not a blast of hurry. Touch the spirit there, hidden in the hollow of his nail pierced hand. So I asked the question Is there room in God's hand for me? How large is his grasp? Well, the Bible tells us how big God's hand is. In Isaiah chapter 40, at verse 12. It says, it asks God asks the question. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hands? And what he's saying is, he's asking the question, he says, Certainly you can't. No man could do it. We'd be forever, wouldn't we? Try, try to empty the, the water of this world. Um, so what he's saying is this, you can't. But I can measure the whole of the world's ha- water in the hollow of my hand. So how much is that? This is interesting boys. How much water is there in the world? In the rivers and in the lakes and in the oceans and in the ice caps? Well, I've looked it up and I could tell you. The scientists tell us that there are 330 million cubic miles of water. A cubic mile is a mile wide, a mile long, and a mile high, and there's 333 of them in this world. It's 305 quintillion gallons. That's, uh, and if you want to see quintillion gallons, it's 305 with uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 18 zeros after it. And just to show that I'm not just an old man stuck in yards and inches, an old body, I worked it out in litres. It's 1,837 quintillion, or 1.837 sextillion uh, litres of a, The scientist says, we say, how much water is in the world? The scientist says, 305 quintillion gallons. And God says, just a handful. Hallelujah. Within those wounds is a room in God's hand, in the hall of his hand for me. Can I know my name written there? Within those wounds, a world may hide at home upon thy breast. I'm not going to sing it to you, so you could say praise God and hallelujah for that. But it's a wonderful old gospel hymn. And it says, there's room with the cross for you. There's room with the cross for you. Though billions have come, there's still room for one. Yes, there's room with the cross for you. The cross upon which Jesus died is a shelter in which we can hide. And his grace so free is sufficient for me. And deep is its fountain, as wide as the sea. There's room at the cross for you. There's room at the cross for you. Though billions have come, there's still room for one. Yes, there's room at the cross for you. Though millions have found him as friend and have turned from the sins they have sinned, the Saviour still waits to open the gates and welcome a sinner before his late. There's room at the cross for you. The hand of my Savior, outstretched or cupped, the hand of my Savior is strong and the love of my Savior is long. Through sunshine or rain, through loss or in gain, the blood flows from Calvary to cleanse. Every stain, instillable, gouged in, deeply marked in my nature. Thank God for the blood of the cross and there's room for me. Let's roll with the cross for you. Isaiah 49, verse 16. Behold. Look, sis, I want you to see Jesus. I want you to see him dying for you. I want you to see him risen for you. I want you to see him in heaven for you. Behold, I've engraved you by the palms of my hands. And the old hymn, first when we sang, said, My name. From the palms of his hands. Eternity will not erase. Engraved on his heart. It remains. In marks. Of indelible grace. And here is my final statement. The marks. Of my. Seemingly indelible sin. Are obliterated. By the marks. Of his indelible grace he says i've engraved you in the palms of my hands and that's where our security lies i'm glad i'm in his hands and that's where i'm going to stay that's where i'm going to obey until in glory i myself shall behold those very woods, and forever praise him for dying for me